0: Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment.
1: Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation.
0: And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong. All right. So today we are talking with Ivy Watts. Um, She is a mental health empowerment speaker, and we are going to hear from her a little bit about her mental health journey and experience with healthy versus unhealthy relationships. Uh, Thank you so much, Ivy, for being here with us.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. One in five has been a really huge part of my journey and when I got into speaking. So really, really grateful to now be on your podcast. This is this is super exciting. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you. We're thrilled to have you here. So um, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off. We like to start uh, by asking people um, a little bit about your mental health journey and what that has looked like so far.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so my struggle started when I was just a young girl, but I never really had the language for mental health, especially growing
3: up in the Black community, we never talked about mental health or self-care or anything like that. So I always just was like super stressed out, but never knew where that stress was coming from or what that meant and really turned into anxiety and lack of self-worth and a lot of negative self-talk throughout most of my life. And I was a student athlete in high school and well, from when I was eight until the end of college, I ran track my entire life and Really had my entire identity centered around being that athlete. And on the outside, people really saw me as the successful student, the successful athlete. And so they had no idea that I was struggling with this anxiety and this perfectionism and this need for external validation. Um, So that struggle really went through high school and college unnoticed. Uh, but was really struggling, as I mentioned, with that anxiety and lack of self-worth and putting my entire self-worth into what I was running, what I looked like, how much I ate, I really started struggling with some disordered eating patterns. And then after college, really feeling like I didn't meet the expectations of my coaches and my teammates and myself, I left college feeling like a failure. I began
2: struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts And being in an emotionally abusive relationship, which I know we'll talk about more later on. And it was just this kind of bottling up of so many years of struggling in silence that I didn't know who to turn to. I I honestly felt like no one else struggled like I did. I truly felt so alone in my struggle and, again, never had the words or self-care tools for it. Uh, And after college, I'm grateful that I was able to finally find help and to go to therapy and to find those tools and to work through
3: all of those things and to discover self-love and to discover what that meant for healthy relationships and how I could start using my voice to uh, begin that healing journey for myself. Um, So that's that's the story in in the short. (laughs) And feel free to ask if I didn't share enough
0: (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's, uh, that's a lot that you've had to deal with. And, um, we are so glad that you, uh, are here today and, um, sharing all these experiences. And, um, I know that you, uh, write your weekly blog that you let us share on our social media, which is awesome. Um, that is for anyone listening. That is beautifully, simply you. Um, we will link to that blog in our show notes um, for anyone who wants to check out all of the amazing things that Ivy has to say. Um, and uh, yeah. So can you share a little bit about what, what led you to wanting to start this blog and then start speaking? Um, Yeah. And what makes you passionate about doing that?
3: Yeah, definitely. So I remember when I was in the the toughest of my times, I I really did feel like there was no one else who would understand and that I was completely alone. And when I was finally able to start getting help and to see that it wasn't shameful or weakness to talk about what I was going through, I think being a student athlete, and as I mentioned, being in the Black community, those two really, um, you know, Created this culture in my mindset that that stigma did exist, and that you know if you did talk about something, that meant you were crazy or weak or lazy. And so, me finally getting that help really helped to shift my mindset about that. And once I was able to see that there also were other people struggling. For instance, my friend, who was the big impetus that I got into therapy, she had opened up to me about her struggle, and that she was a student athlete who looked like she had it all together as well but was struggling. And she was getting help through therapy. So those little barriers that began, those big barriers that began to be broken down for me, I, I wanted to do the same for other people. So once I started finding my voice, I was like, how can I help other students, other student athletes who are like me, who either look like they have it all together or don't, doesn't matter where you're at, but are struggling and struggling in silence. And so I just have always really enjoyed writing and really wanted to get my story out somehow and took a leap. And I chose a date that was meaningful to me, which was a year actually after leaving that abusive relationship and wrote my first blog post, kind of laid it all out there. And, you know, as my family and close friends reading it. Uh, so after doing that for a little bit, I wanted to see how I could expand the impact and go out of my comfort zone a little bit and for me, a lot of it was to see that I was more than an athlete because that was a lot of my identity. And so coming into the public speaking world was a good way to challenge me and to see that I, I could reach goals and to do scary things. Um, and so now it's been really great to have the blog that I do weekly, but also have some face-to-face time when we're in non COVID times now and zoom, <laughs> uh,
2: zoom communications with people. Um, And it's just been so amazing. I think the best part is when a student will say to me, you know, I never knew that someone else who looked like me or had similar experiences as me has also struggled with their mental health. And now I feel like I can go tell a parent, a coach, go to the counseling center, go find a therapist that can help me. So it's been really amazing to help some students and student athletes who really do feel so alone. And, you know, I wish I had, I had that when I was in high school, college, even when I
0: was a little girl, so. Well, it's interesting because, you know, people in all different communities, stigma is so different. It shows up in all communities, but the level of intensity is different. Um, like, regardless of whatever level of melanin you have in your body, our brains are pretty much the same, right? Like, we all need this care for our brain. We all have these common things that happen. But the stigma in different communities can be more harmful or is harmful, but can sometimes be more potent or strong, and and I know we've heard about it with student athletes a lot, um, like working with them, and and there's there's a lot of kickback when we try to work with schools in the athletic department. They'll be like, "Oh, we don't have that problem. Our athletes are fine. They're strong. They're, you know, whatever the narrative is, whatever the narrative is that they spin, um, that's just not true." Um, but then it's it's also true with people in the black community, people in the Indian, Asian community, um, research is showing us that the stigma is more intense. Um, and, and there's many reasons for it, but, um, but having people such as yourself to connect with these individuals is so, so wonderful because we need more spokespeople. We need more people saying this is normal and our brains just happen to be the same.
3: Exactly. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, I think it makes it even more important, the work Um, that I'm doing being a black female. I think just the other day I had a presentation. I actually wrote a blog post about this today. I had a presentation. The school was mostly um, people, students of color. And a lot of the comments were that, you know, having a black female speaking about this, right? Like this completely changes the narrative for me. Like I never, like my family, we don't talk about this. Like you deal with it internally with God, like you're not going to ever talk about it. So And that's, you know, the other thing is you have to recognize there's so many layers to it. We can impact and empower the student, but it's their family as well that might impact them being able to get help. But, you know, that's a whole other (laughs) conversation. Right. But I, I do think that these conversations are so needed, especially in the black community. Like I got a question one day asking me should I not suggest therapy to black students? And I, I was like, I don't think that that's the, the case. I don't think we should just not suggest it, but I think the way we suggest it needs to be culturally responsive as well as coming from potentially someone of color can really help to just help them to see that they're, it's okay, right? It's okay to be able to get help. And it, yeah, so yeah, that's a little two cents there. <laughs>
1: So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? You said for yourself, it was a friend of yours that really helped you. Can you just explore that a little bit more about what that looked like for you and and, and, and how that message resonated for you and that you finally reached out and got the help you? you uh, that was so helpful. Yeah,
3: definitely. Um, so I remember that day, super clear. We were just going out to lunch, me and a friend from high school. She was a track teammate of mine. And we were just having a casual conversation and she just started bringing up how she was struggling a lot with uh, negative self-talk and self-worth and how it was impacting her relationship that she was in and that she was going to therapy and that her therapist was giving her tools to help her to reflect on herself, reflect on her relationship and how it was then in turn helping herself and her relationship. And I didn't say anything back to her about my struggle. I just was so for the first time, like felt so seen because this was a friend that I had known for so long that also to me looks like she was like this perfect person. And I think for her to just say to me so casually, it's the first time everyone, anyone so casually talked about mental health for her to do that really, really opened this door for me. It's like the, the difference between her and I is that like we both had very similar struggles, but she was getting help for it. And that was the piece I was in. At that point, I was like very stuck. I didn't know what to do or or who to turn to. It had been a couple of years after college and just her telling me like, this is what I'm doing and it's helping was that push that I needed to say, you know, what can I do? Like, what is that step for myself? And like I said, I didn't say anything to her back. But after a couple of days of just like consistently thinking about that conversation, I took what felt like an incredibly scary step. And I called my mom. I remember I was driving and I called her and I said, you know, mom, I'm thinking about starting therapy. And my mom at the most basic level knew that I was like that super stressed out person had that perfectionist mindset, but she didn't know the rest of it. But she said to me, you know, I think that will be helpful for you. And so that clicked it Mm -hmm. for me. It was my friend. And then it was my mom's reassurance because I, you know, her her opinion, she's my best friend means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So for her to say that to me, I remember I must've been driving to an interview because I remember I went, I finished the interview and as I was walking out, I was going on psychology today. And I found a couple of therapists, (laughs) made a couple of phone calls and the therapist I connected with that day, we made an appointment and, um, and so she's still my therapist all these years later. So uh,
1: yeah. Great. yeah, you're very lucky because that doesn't happen all the time. You know, it's a, uh, we say it's like a dating yeah. relationship, you know, it, you have to make that connection. And so you're really lucky. Yeah, definitely.
3: I, I definitely got very lucky. And I, I say that to people too, that it's a journey. I mean, I'm fortunate that my journey happened right away and it clicked right away. But for many people, like you said, it's like Dating or trying out a new car, right? Like you have to go out for a couple of test runs yeah. and see what fits, or go out on a couple of dates, or kiss a couple of frogs. But um, <laughs> you no, know, I, I got lucky, and I, I definitely appreciate the relationship I have with my my therapist and how it helped me so so much, and just truly, truly, truly saved my life. So, yeah.
1: When you're out there, when you're out there doing your um, your talks, do people ask you that question a lot um, about? how do I do this? Like, I think that we actually get some, you know, we work a lot with youth and a lot of times they're like, my mom just doesn't believe in in therapy. And, and how do I get past that? And I'm sure that you probably get that question a lot of how to deal with, with, uh, with parents, with people where that are giving resistance to that, to that avenue. Yeah.
3: That's definitely a question I get a lot, whether it's a parent or a coach
2: or someone else who has a lot of influence on their life. And it's definitely tough, when, especially if someone has a uh, negative outlook on mental health or on getting help. Um, but what I always think about is trying to look at what that person's core values are, right? So as a parent, at the end of the day, they care about you and and where you go and what and how, how your health is. And so I think really like Taking it so if your parent is really, their core value really centers around you getting good grades. Are you doing really well at a certain activity, right? Saying how your mental health is affecting your success
3: in that area. I think that that's one way to just show that it's not just oh I'm I'm being lazy, right? As some people might inter- interpret it as. No, this my mindset, how I'm feeling is not helping me to perform well in this particular area, and I think that that can sometimes help just to change the the dialogue. And then I also always say to to students about talking to their parents, that it's always about taking off one layer of that mask and not the mask we have to wear for, for COVID,
2: but the face mask that you kind of just hide behind that you tell the world you're okay when you're really not. And that even if you just take off one little layer and get to the most surface level part of your struggle, that even though it's incredibly scary to do, when you keep peeling behind that mask, it gets a little bit easier with each and every single time. So I would encourage people to kind of find that core value of that person that's really influential in that decision for your mental wellness and and know that it's really scary to have those conversations. But each time you do it, it gets a little bit easier. You know, you learn a little bit more about what to say. And uh, I think the journey gets easier from you.
0: Uh, so we did a podcast a little while ago, and our guest, um, Andrea, shared her how her first attempts at talking to someone uh, about mental health and her need for more help um, was not met with a positive experience. Um, and so if that happens, um, that's just not the right person. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them, and they're not a bad person, but um, you need to find another person to tell. Um, and, and so I think that message is uh, super powerful, too
3: to your comment about the last podcast that you did. So I think it's also interesting thinking about my story, getting into that um, abusive relationship a little bit more. Um, That was the first time I actually ever did open up about my struggle. So that was a little bit after college. I opened up to this individual about my struggle with thoughts of suicide and was hit with stigma around how you're feeling stupid and selfish and therapy will be useful, useless for you. And that was and and validation for me of what I have believed my entire life about that. Talking about your struggles shows weakness and that if you talk about what you're going through, that you crazy. And so that for me, definitely kept me struggling in silence, but I, I completely agree in terms of being able to see that if one person hits you with that stigma, that that just means that they're not the right person to go to, right? It doesn't mean that there aren't other people in your circle that are, are, doesn't mean that there aren't other people in your circle that aren't going to be there for you because there always is someone there's always someone who wants to understand seeks to understand and just be there for you so it was a really good lesson for me to see that too of having that stigma and then also still seeing that there's so many other people in my corner so
1: thank so you talked a little bit about the, your speaking and um, and what you're doing right now and how that really connects you with uh, a lot of the athletes. They they really can um, align with what you're saying. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from other people that have been helpful to you during that during that those those talks?
3: yeah definitely. i think I think some of the biggest lessons is just the the perseverance that these students do have, right to push through, especially difficult times like right now with Covid and how everything is just so different and and so much loss and just the the fact that they continue to show up and that they recognize sometimes messaging me afterwards, like recognizing that they are struggling and that they want to do something about it. I think it's just really powerful to see. and I think. On the flip side as well, I think there's just so many students who want to make a change around the mental health stigma. They really want to see how they can make a difference at their school, how they can make a difference on their team, how they can support their teammates even just by having, you know, group check-ins and things like that. Like how can I just make this less of a stigmatizing conversation? And I think I always leave conversations feeling really empowered when there's just a group of students who like are ready, like they're ready to leave there and like make a difference for themselves and they might not be ready to admit their own struggle, but they're like, I want to help everyone else. I want to change the world around this. So uh, I think that's always super, super powerful. Um, And I think that's like the the best part of the work that I do is just seeing so many motivated people in the next generation to come. So
0: it is interesting that um, sometimes when people are trying so hard to help others, um, and and I've kind of touched on this a little bit with my blog posts too, um, but you don't even think to talk to yourself or or treat yourself like you treat other people um so it connects with that self-talk but it also connects with like uh valuing other people um more than you value value yourself maybe um I don't know it's just like uh burnout boundary setting self-talk all that kind of uh like intertwines um so then How do you um, set those boundaries so that you make sure that uh, you're taking care of yourself when obviously the work that you do is really centered around uh, making sure that other people have those tools to take care of themselves? Right,
3: right. Yeah, definitely. You know, how easy is it for us to give that advice and not actually implement it into our own lives?
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
3: (laughs) Exactly.
2: I mean, I'm really, really lucky that I have a a really great support system. So my mom, uh, over the last year or so, um, has been fighting pancreatic cancer. And it's just been, you know, a really, really tough up and down battle for me. And thinking about that, you know, I would say to my partner, I would say, um, I feel like a fraud basically going into these presentations sometimes and telling them to practice self-care and telling them to practice self-love when I'm literally unable to do that right now. And it just it's really nice I have the support system to remind me of like you use that vulnerability. Like that's that's what the
3: self-care is, right? And that's your strength of being able to use that vulnerability, bring it to the presentation, and say, you know, sometimes it's okay if you're not practicing self-care. It's okay to take those steps back and to, to just cry about it and, and be sad about it and come back to the, the tools when you're feeling good. So I'm really grateful that I have uh, that support system. So like accountability partner, I can call it, to have someone there to remind me of those self-care techniques. Like for instance, these last couple of days, I've been, only those last couple of weeks, I've been working way too much. um, And it kind of got to the space where it it hit me um, and it hit me pretty hard. And I just felt pretty debilitated over the last couple of days. And my parents were, you know, reminding me of things I say all the time, right? Set boundaries, take time, take breaks, you know, and I'll
2: spend a whole day and be like, "Okay, I need to go to the bathroom and I'm still like sending ten emails, like, okay, I still need to go to the bathroom. Like <laughs> I, I spent a really hard time with like separating myself. So, you know, they reminded me of that, and I have been very diligent these last seven days or so of, of making sure i'm I'm taking those breaks, putting more yoga and meditation in my life. And I do feel a complete difference in how I was just a couple of days ago. Um, so for me, I think the biggest thing is just having those accountability partners and remembering that vulnerability is strength. So when I'm feeling really, really crappy and I have a presentation, I, I bring it there. I bring the emotion there and I'm yeah, you know, I'll say to them, like tonight I'm I'm feeling it too, and, and that's okay. Um so that's what I've been really trying to do with my work.
0: I mean people respond to people, right? when you feel that authenticity and that vulnerability, they connect with you a lot quicker. Uh, it just like creates a space where we can all be regardless of what's happening. Um, and, and doing that in a presentation where you're trying to connect in a quick moment allows you to connect faster.
1: Um, so, so that's great. I I love that. So The one thing that we we've touched on this a little bit before. We talked about um, the healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. You talk a lot about on on your um, on your uh, blog post, um, but can we explore that a little bit more? What have you learned about what does a healthy relationship look like? You talked about your partners, your accountability partners. Who are those people, and and, and who do we need to have in our life to protect them? Yeah,
3: definitely. I think with unhealthy relationships, there's definitely so many different warning signs. But I think the biggest thing is if a person is making you feel not good about yourself, if you're not feeling good or safe in a relationship, I, I think it, the tough thing about relationships is that a lot of times, and you know, the kind of cliche, you can't love others until you love yourself. But I, I think a lot of times we really like need that validation from others. We need that love from others that we often will stay in situations that aren't good for us, especially if we spent most of our lives talking negatively to ourselves. We'll think that we deserve that. We'll feel really comfortable in that negativity. And that was really what my life was. I had spent so much time comfortable in that negativity that from this external person, like it, it almost just kind of felt like an addition to it. It wasn't anything super foreign to what I had already spent my entire life feeling. So when other people had mentioned to me that this might not be healthy for me, like I just couldn't separate the two until going through it and, and really seeing, you know, and for lack of better terms, like getting sick and tired of being sick and tired in this, this relationship. But I think a lot of times we will stay in those situations just because they they feel good, even though they don't. they, We know deep down that they don't feel good. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think with unhealthy relationships, like if there's anyone that's ever putting you down, or if you, if someone does something and you get upset about it, and they still try to spin it and put it back on you that that you're the problem, um, I think those are always really big warning signs. And I think the most important thing to realize is that sometimes when we're in our, our struggle, we can be in this bubble and it can feel like there's nothing better outside of that situation. And that was for me as well. I, I felt that, that that was really it for me. So this is just kind of, this is what I've got. This is what the world was giving to me. But I think it's so important for us to realize like wherever we're in, if it's a relationship or a tough situation that you know we don't have to be stuck in that situation or that relationship and that there are better days or better people, you know, outside of that bubble. Um, and I, I think it does take work in terms of learning to have that positive self-dialogue with yourself. And when you're positive and loving with yourself, I think you do attract more positive and loving people to you. So the, the difference for me was really just, you know, as I said, getting sick and tired. And, and after a while, I've just been continuously beat down with negativity and and this emotional abuse that I was experiencing, you know, I just started to realize from other people's relationships that I was seeing that this isn't what it had to be. And I didn't know if I would ever get that, but I at least knew I didn't want what I had. So it took a lot of work and a lot of strength, um, to, to walk away. And even when I did walk away, I came back and I came back and I, I left. It was this kind of just, you know, uh, cycle until there was a day, as I mentioned that the year after that day was when I started my blog. But that that day, I just, I left and kind of cut ties after that, um, which was really, really empowering for me. And the difference, I think, with recognizing that it was unhealthy was when I did leave and because I used to live in Connecticut, so where I went to school. And so when I did leave and came back here to Massachusetts, I just felt so lighter. And I actually like remember checking out the grocery store, like just like a everyday to ask and just like feeling so happy talking to the person next to me when like just a couple of days ago, right. The world felt so bogged down on me. So um, I think that was a big change for me too, that like, I can be happy without this person. I can be happy on my own. And, and that's the other thing too, I'll say is that when we are in those little bubbles, I think because we see other people in relationships or because we're creating that love that we uh, forget that we can be whole on our own without a relationship. So uh, it can take some time to to be on your own and, and really learn to love yourself and find out about yourself and find out what you like and don't like and do some trial and error with, with dating. And I think that that's like really empowering to be able to say, you know, I, you're a great person, but you're not a great person for me. And move on and, and know that there's someone else out there. And I definitely am a huge advocate for that, like learning to love yourself and finding someone who who loves you for who you are. Um, a quote that I really began to, to live by is, perhaps we should love ourselves so deeply that when others see us, they know exactly how to do it. And so I think that that's uh, really something that we should try to strive for, right? Find someone who learn to love yourself and then find someone who loves you for you. And then in turn knows how to love you because you already love yourself. It's a lot of words, but
0: <laughs> That's so beautiful though. Like, I don't think I've ever heard that quote, but that's, yeah. Yeah, that's empowering. And actually, you know, I've known someone who was in an unhealthy relationship and I, I, I just kept scratching my head thinking like, why are you staying with this person? I just don't get it. You're so much better than that person. Um, and then when they would break up, the person would tell me, don't say anything. I don't want to cause a scene. Uh, if you run into them, uh, d- don't do something mean. And I was like, why? I don't like them. I don't have to pretend. Um, but but it makes sense that sometimes that feels like the normal. Um, and, and like you don't recognize that it's not a great fit. Um and also that those people can sometimes be a little bit manipulative with your emotions and, and they can continue that narrative in your head and make you feel like the only person that could love you is that person. And you'll never find something better, even though that person is terrible or or a t- terrible fit for you, maybe. Um, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way.
3: Yeah, yeah, the manipulation piece is key. I think that that's a really big red red flag, right of someone saying that that that's the the telltale thing, right? like you're you're never gonna find anyone else better than me um, or putting things on you that were really kind of their mistake and then putting it back on you or making you feel bad that you were upset. right That was definitely something that happened to me all the time. like we would argue, and then I would get visibly upset and then I would then be made made to feel bad that I was upset and then made to feel bad that I made him upset. So it's just, right. And then you just start questioning, should I have even been upset? Was I overreacting? Was I, you know, that, so you just start questioning your own reality. Um, And I know they call that gaslighting uh, nowadays, which is a new term for me. Um, But right. You start questioning your reality. And I think because of that, my, my memory of my experiences is often distorted. Um, And I, so, like, if you were to sit here and ask me, like, what are my key, you know, red flags that I experienced, I, I really don't remember. I think part of it was the trauma of it all that I don't remember it, but also just kind of, you know, being manipulated and gaslighted so often that I, I don't, I remember how I felt, but I don't remember what happened, right? So.
0: So, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, like, or to hear, I guess, um, what, like, the major differences you see uh that are between like unhealthy relationships which you have experience with and then now like you're married and uh you have a very like supportive partner um so what kind of like differences do you see in the relationship well, obviously like a lot but <laughs>
3: yeah um, I think I think one of the biggest things when I first met my husband now which is still kind of crazy to say <laughs> we've been married for six months and I'm like <laughs> fiance boyfriend I think that's weird. <laughs> um I think the biggest difference when I first met him was the support for everything. I think in the past I did not have that support for future endeavors, whatever they relate related to. And I know if, if that was the case, if I wanted to get into the mental health world, I would not have been met with the same support. And so I think just that level of support and acceptance of what I was going to be doing was was really, really huge. Um, and just just kindness. I mean, just being kind about my feelings and my emotions. I think that that's the biggest thing is I feel no fear to go and tell him about any and everything, whether it's related to him, that's something that
2: you know he made me upset about, or um, that's related to my own life. And that's, I think, really, really comforting to know that I can be open because at, after spending my entire life being so closed off, I think having a partner that you can feel supported and sharing whatever is, is really, really huge. So, um, that's, that's been huge for me. Yeah. I, I would, he's just so supportive and, and loving and accepting and just a really great guy. So I think, you know, when I, when I think about what I would want, it's, you know, I got, I got lucky. I got hit the jackpot. He's a great guy. Um, but yeah, I, um,
0: there's so many people in this world, right? Like so many people, that one person who is not healthy for you is not the only person in this world. I think that's such an important thing to remember. Uh, it's kind of going back to what you were saying earlier. It's like, um, like when you see all these other people in relationships, like that is what you want. You see your friends happy, and uh, and and we see you like so happy. Like the when when I uh mentioned your husband like your eyes lit up and that was like (laughs) it's such a beautiful thing to like see other people who are absolutely in love and I think that uh that is like something that kind of keeps people in these unhealthy relationships and like it's you just want that person and like Aaron was saying like there are so many people in the world you don't need to be like some if you're unhappy like that's not it you know
1: (laughs) one thing that I always think is interesting about relationships. If I see somebody that's in an unhealthy relationship, they're like, but I have somebody and you're like, no, that is not okay. It is not okay. You need to love yourself and you need to be okay with yourself day to day. You don't need that person who is pulling you down. Mm -hmm. Right. Definitely.
2: I know. And
3: I, I think it's, it's so important to recognize that you don't have to settle. I mean, there's another quote that I always um, loved going by. Uh, It was, the quote is, um, the quote is, if it's not deep, passionate, something love, then it's a waste of time. There are too many mediocre things in life. Love shouldn't be one of them. And I always thought about that too, right? Like, this is what I was going to say, that (laughs) no relationship is going to be perfect. So there's always going to be bad bad times that happen, right? So with my husband now, it's not that like we're always happy and smiling and dancing in our kitchen.
2: Like there are times that you know I, I want him to, you know, go in a different room, or there are times that we fight and it happens. So I think the difference is what happens after that disagreement or that argument, or how you talk to each other in an argument or a disagreement. Like communication is key. Like someone should not be calling you names or putting you down. Like, someone should sit there and listen and not cut you off and have time to to share and then the person respond or both decide to take a break um so i think that that's really huge to recognize that you're not going to have a, a picture perfect relationship because nobody does and what you see on social media you're going to see people who have picture perfect relationships because they're not going to post about the fight that
3: they're having they're going to post when they're in the bahamas and and you know having a great time like that's what they're going to post so really, really important to see that, you know, your relationship will have bad times, but it's how you communicate with each other. And then really how you work through that conflict. Like for me, before we got married, it was really important that we did couples counseling, because I just wanted to have that strong foundation. And my husband was really open to it, which was great. And I think we learned like awesome tools of how to communicate how to work through tough times, like financial stuff that like you don't want to talk about, right? So I think that's really what it's important to realize is that just like life with relationships, we're going to have hard times. There's going to be bumps along the way, but it's just really having that support um, together the entire time. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh,
0: can you actually? um
3: it's it triggered.
0: We got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I like what you said about like, you guys went to couples counseling, even though you're in a good relationship and you love each other so much, but I think there's this, this stigma around couples counseling, especially that people think like, Oh, you can't go to, you can't go to couples counseling unless there are big issues that you need to work out. But that's not the reality. It's like, it's the same thing as like individual therapy. Everybody can use somebody to talk to and having somebody there who's on the outside of the relationship who has nothing to gain from supporting one over the other, uh, to help you guide through those issues, um, that's such an important thing that shouldn't be looked down on. So, so can you talk a little bit about like what led you to that step of, um, wanting to go to couples counseling, even though there weren't like major issues that led you there?
3: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So the biggest thing for me is I still had some underlying trauma from my last relationship about opening up to um, my now husband about some of my struggles. So mm-hmm. even though I knew his response would be completely different and 100% supportive, I still had this you know, thought in the back of my head that it wouldn't be just because of my past. So that did um, bring up some fear for me. And, and it was a struggle because we would be communicating or not because I wasn't really sharing um, a hundred percent. And then I would bottle things up and then share it in maybe a, a not as nice way as I would have a couple of days before if I had let it out in that moment. So we were kind of thinking through that of like, how can we communicate better? And how can I work through some of that? So part of it was my own individual counseling, right? Doing that conversation with my individual therapist. And then also part, a huge part of it was really having this, like you said, outside person, this third party almost that could come and just observe and and give us those tools. So, right. It wasn't that anything was like broken, but I think even if things are struggling, like if you're struggling, like it's, it's okay to get therapy too. But I think it really is being able to change our mindset that therapy for yourself or a your couple for your, your, you and your parent, like it can be preventative it can be a way to just get those tools. And that's what I just kept saying to him. I just kept saying, like, I just want to find some tools so that in the future when we have kids, hopefully, and there's, You know, juggling all these demands, like I just want to be able to have these tools before, you know, there's a thousand things going on. Um, Not like there aren't already, but, you know, just having those tools. So, and it was just awesome that he was so receptive to it, um, which is great. That's amazing. And I mean, even thinking about because everyone's communication style is different, right? Or like learning that person's love language, like learning. If, like, for me, even though of my trauma, I do like to deal with things in the moment, but like, he needs time. But that would frustrate me sometimes, right? But without that conversation and couples counseling, like, I I might not have really known the the reasoning for it. And now I can see, okay, do we need to take a couple of minutes before we talk about this? Um, So I think that that's, that's definitely really important. I always say with therapy, like, aside from couples therapy, but couples therapy too is like, you know, it's this hour that you have. He's cute. (laughs) It's this hour that you have that, you know, you could technically sit and talk to a wall, right? And sometimes,
2: so why I say that is because with therapy, a lot of times it's the the listening, right? And so they might not be giving you uh, feedback or tools throughout the entire time. They might just be listening. And then throughout, obviously they, they do add their commentary. But so that's why I say sometimes it's like, okay, I could just sit here, right? And talk, but would I actually make the time to do that? Probably not, right? So the difference is, is that you have this scheduled hour that now you have to, or, you, you know, you, you have to, as much as you can, show up to it. And so that's always been the difference for me is I have taken breaks from therapy before, but I always come back to it and have it consistently in my life. Because even if I feel like I don't have something going on, it's
3: good for me to have that hour where I, I, it's about me, right? And I have to kind of think about something to
2: get off my chest or whatever it is. So that was the same with the couples therapy is we could have made the time, but would we have? So with that hour that we knew we had every week and we were, we were reading a book, we were doing worksheets and homework. Like it was a, it was a fast paced. And if it wasn't for COVID, I don't know if we would have had the time. It was like right when COVID hit that we did it maybe a couple months after. So things were kind of slow. And I don't know if I we would have had the time otherwise to have read those chapters and do those worksheets and have the discussion. So Without that dedicated time, I don't I don't know if we would have had those tools. Right. So that's what I think is, is the difference, too, is that therapy can
3: sometimes, I guess, feel like a burden of your day of your busy schedule. But would you make the time otherwise? Would you make the time for yourself otherwise? And if the answer to that is no, it's, it's and you have therapy as an option, I think it's a great thing to use a great tool to have.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's all, it's all about building that toolkit, you know, so you, uh, when you can, when you're in different situations, you can go back to it and you can say, okay, in this situation, this is what I should be doing. This is the conversation. These are the things that are going to help. Me right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I like what you said about it being preventative. Cause it's like, it, we make this uh, kind of comparison all the time of like, if your leg was broken, you, you, wouldn't not go to the doctor. And it's the same, like you should take care of your mental health the same way, but it's like therapy is like your annual checkup. Like you just want to make sure that everything is functioning the way it should be and all this good stuff so that if these issues come up later on, you know how to handle them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, developing that that toolkit is so important, having those tools so that, you know, in the future, right, like tough times are inevitably going to come in our lives. But when you have those tools, it, it does. Uh, and the accountability partners like for people like myself, I think it really does. Um, it does help to get through those tough times a little bit easier.
1: Well, thank you for sharing. It's been a, it's been an honor to have you on and to learn about your journey and what has been helpful for you and. I hope that we continue to work together. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. We, we love doing that. Yeah, with you. definitely.
3: Definitely. Me too. For sure.
1: Thank you so much for listening to learn more about this
0: episode. You can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at one n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, Read, review or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time. You belong here. We belong.